How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Okay, welcome in to another edition of Booze and Baseball. This one in conjunction with our last episode. And uh, if you're hoping that we're going to have uh, you know, more episodes coming out, one today, another tomorrow and stuff, and that this is going to start a trend. Don't get your hopes up and don't be greedy. You know, you want to space these out. You want to kind of conserve yourself here a little bit. Don't just binge watch them. Save yourself a little before we get to our next episode. But we're going to do the National League Awards today through the 60-game season. Again, if you missed the previous episode, we did the American League Awards. We're through about 60 games, depending on the team of the season. And the beauty of that, last year was a 60-game season. So if the season were that short this year, then we would have awards and the end of the season, the postseason, all that stuff at this point in time. So just kind of a, a cool thing to look back to last year. And also, it would be cool looking back on it once we get to the end of this year to look and say, wow, look how different some of these awards would have been just as last year would have been if it would have ended up being a longer season. So with Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson, as I said. And we're actually recording these on the same night, as we previously mentioned. So, uh, Dusty, are you changing up beer number two? Yeah. So, uh, from our last podcast, we were talking about what what we were drinking, of course. And uh, I had gone on kind of a bender, if you will, the night before. Um, So, I had stuck to Coors. I have another Coors. This is number two of 36 uh, that I'm somehow, someway going to have to finish. But, you know, we do something called a shotgun segment, right? Well, I thought about this. We've never shotgunned on our actual podcast. No, not. And so I decided, you know, a lot of people in this world don't know how to actually shotgun the right way. And I, I luckily, I learned a way, a thing or two. Somebody kind of forced me into learning how to do it the right way. So I might as well teach our people how to do that too. So if you're listening, uh, you know, you got to listen accordingly. Okay, so number one, if you actually want a shotgun the right way, you take your beer, you make sure that the cap, okay, the very top of it is facing down so that when you open it, the opening is at the top. You don't want it to be the other way around or else it's going to spill out. Now, make sure you tilt it down, okay, where the cap is obviously facing down and the air pocket, as I like to call it, is facing up. There should be a little air pocket at the top of the other side of your beer. What you're going to do, you're going to just very lightly take a key and then not stab at it, okay? You're just going to brush it, okay? It's like painting, okay? You're, you're painting the air pocket and you're just going to do a little incision 
Uh, you might have heard that in your, my mic. I don't know if you did, but I have a nice little incision. And then I'm just going to drag my key down. It doesn't have to be a huge incision, people. You guys try so hard all the time. All you do is open up the entire beer and spill it all out. You're going to notice I'm going to spill very little to no beer in this at all, okay? So now what I'm doing, I'm popping open what I like to call the head or the air pocket of the Coors Light. And so from this point on, there's only one other mission we have. Derek, if you want, you can count it down for me and I will finish the job. All right. Three, two, Tyler O'Neill, go. All right. So Dusty shotgunning a beer. Let's see. I don't have a timer. I'm guessing this is about three seconds, four seconds, five. Wow. Good job. Killed it. And no, I'll say this. I'll say this. You've had questionable drinks on this show that I have questioned, that the listeners have questioned, but I think that redeems you right there. Shotgunning the beer on episode number 23, the Michael Jordan episode of Booze and Baseball. Who's a good baseball player who wore number 23? I don't know why I'm blanking I, on that. I wish Tyler O'Neill did. <laughs> he wears 27. <laughs> I, I have become the biggest Tyler O'Neill stand between the recordings of our podcast as I was hyping him up when it wasn't even talking about the NL. He did hit a 451 foot home run and he's two for two as we speak at this moment. Uh, and uh, he's my shotgun favorite. So uh, it, I'm going to pretend he's 23 off the top of my head. I think Eric Karros was 23 uh, when he played with the Dodgers. Did Granky like wear a 23 with the Dodgers? Granky was 21, I believe. I believe he was 21. I thought he wore it at one point. I don't know. Either way. 23, 23 is not a very used number, I guess. If you I think feel like it. there's guys. Where, oh, Adrian Gonzalez, right? There you go. A, yeah, yep, there you go. That's a good one. Why do guys play for the Dodgers? Is that just like an L.A. thing? I don't know. I don't really know. You know, the Dodgers have a lot of retired numbers, and so you see the frequent, like, stars, if you will, wearing the same kind of, like, 22 is Kershaw. That's going to get retired. You're never going to see that worn again. So I, I don't know. I think it maybe just with retired players, like the Yankees probably have uh, a 23 somewhere along the lines there too. It, Luke Voigt, is that right? Mm, that's all right. I'm bad with it. We're going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to figure this out. So while Derek, while I look this up, what are you drinking for number two as I am in pain right now? So I can't shotgun this. This is a bottle and it is a Boulevard <laughs> unfiltered wheat. Try it. <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm not going to chug it either because uh, I don't want to do that. But I will say, this being our uh, second show, recording back-to-back, -back, you just shotgunning that one. The show might get a little more loopy, hopefully. That'd be kind of fun. But it's just a delicious light beer. It's a wheat beer. Easy to drink, but it's going to be better than your just domestic. So, I like that. And I'm looking up these numbers right here as we speak. Uh, Ryan Sandberg wore number 23. That's probably the best person, best player. You were right about Adrian Gonzalez wore number 23 as well. Um there's really not a lot, though. It's, it's like a basketball number, man. I, I think that's kind of what we're drawing the conclusion of because um, I'm looking around and there's just not a lot of them. Hmm. Well, uh, maybe that'll be the next number eventually. By the way, speaking of old stuff, we didn't do our throwback baseball stat of the week last show because we're going to do it this show. Um, this one gets credited to the Cincinnati Reds Twitter account. They sent this out on June 8th of 1920. Hall of Famer Ed Roosh, it might be Roush, but I think it's Roosh, I don't know, was ejected for taking a nap in center field. <laughs> uh, it was against the Giants at Polo Grounds up in uh, Brooklyn, and manager Pat Moran was arguing with the umps. So Roosh just said, you know, I'm just going to kick back. Maybe he had a long night the night before. I don't know. That would have been, I think, during uh, Prohibition. So maybe illegally had a long night the night before. And he just said, I'm, I'm going to take a nap on the field while you're arguing. So he fell asleep. But it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to rest my eyes. He, like, legit fell asleep. They tried to wake him up. They couldn't. So they just ejected him. 
That's maybe the best story that I've ever heard. It kind of reminds me of Manny Ramirez when he had to go to the bathroom and in left field, but he he wasn't ejected during that, right? He was he was no, still allowed to play the game. I don't think that's how do you fall asleep at a baseball game? That's what I want to know. Like I always get upset when you go to a game and you see somebody that's clearly not a fan of the game and they're falling asleep in their seat. It's like you, you paid money to go to this. It's a great game. Enjoy it. And also, Derek, I have officially pulled up the list of current number twenty threes in the league, and we should both be ashamed of ourselves. Uh-oh. Holy cow. We need to be disappointed. Are you ready? I'm going to list yeah. them off to you. I have every single one of them. Okay. So I can't pronounce his first name. I never have been, and I never will be able to, but I'm going to try. On the Atlanta Braves, Ahir, Adrianza. Oh, is it giant. Yeah. yeah. Is it Ahir or Ahir? I can't pronounce it. No, I don't remember. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Anyways, he's one of them. Archie Bradley of the Philadelphia Phillies. No. Michael Brantley of the Astros. No. Michael Ch- Chavis, Chavis of uh, the Red Sox. Nelson Cruz of oh, the Twins. Fuck. Corey Dickerson of the Marlins. Eric Fetty of the Nationals. Ty France, your guy of the wow. Seattle Mariners. Also your guy, Zach Gallen of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh. Jeff Hoffman of the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, neither of us should not know this. Uh, Daniel Johnson of the Indians. That's the most typical Indians name. I don't even know who that guy is, to be honest. I know most of the players in this league. Probably probably uh, 99. Yeah, I don't, yeah, exactly. I, I have no idea who Daniel Johnson is. Uh, reminds me of the former Nationals first baseman. Then you have Mitch Keller, Keller, the starting pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jake Lamb, who's somehow still in this league, on the Chicago White Sox. Mike Miner of the Kansas City Royals. David Peterson of the Mets. Jose Trevino of the Rangers. But guess what, Derek? The one that I'm truly ashamed of, the San Diego Padres, number oh, 23, no. shortstop, Fernando oh, Tatis gosh. Jr. Somehow, some way, we totally missed. I'll be Fernando honest. Tatis. When you were going over that list, it was actually making me feel better. Like Nelson Cruz, you know, Michael Brantley. It's like, okay, you probably should have known that. But, like, over the course of that list, I was like, this is vindication. Like, a lot of these guys, you know, it's whatever. Once you got to Tatis, now, now I feel now I'm Now I'm hurting. Uh, if you're a listener of this show, just tune out now. I mean, we're, we're disappointing. I, this is a huge L. I'm also hurting still from the shotgun, so that might be part of my problem. Well, <laughs> since we're so stupid, let's give out our stupid <laughs> awards because we're probably wrong about them. Um, if the season ended today, by the way, in the National League, as we talked about earlier, you would have had eight teams in if we were basing it off last year. They had the top two teams in each division. Top got one through three. Second place in each division got four through six. And then the next two best teams got the seven and eight seeds. So right now, the one seed would be San Francisco versus eight seed St. Louis. That'd be an interesting one-eight matchup. Uh, Two seed Milwaukee versus seven seed LA Dodgers. That is uh, the most dangerous seven seed of all time. Three seed New York Mets versus six seed Atlanta. That's a dangerous six seed. They haven't really played like it this year, but I I think everybody's expecting them to – Really get it going. I mean, they had a rough start in their back around 500 anyway. And then four-seed San Diego, really good four-seed against five-seed Chicago. Chicago's had like a nice year, and it's like, oh, well, here's your reward. You have to take on San Diego in the first round. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, if you look at these playoffs, man, I mean, it's really kind of insane. I wish we had this format because those are four legitimate series I would actually want to watch. I I think the Giants versus the Cardinals – is as good of a series as what you will find there. Then the Dodgers rematching the Brewers with reverse, not even reversed uh, seeds because the Dodgers were the one seed and the Brewers were the eight seed. Uh, to see that kind of flip switch, it's going to be, you know, that would be amazing to watch. Uh, the Braves and Mets rivalry going head to head, that would be super cool. And the Padres facing the Cubs. I mean, I think that we all know what would the result of that would be, but hey, you still got to play the games to get to the results. So I, I kind of love these matchups. Yeah, I do too. Um, So as far as the MVP race, that's where we started in the last show. Uh, 
I might go a little out of the box just in terms of it being a pitcher. I kind of want to go Jacob DeGrom. Um, I, but, but first, let me mention some of the hitters. Uh, Jesse Winker is the only player in the NL, at least when we're recording right now, I don't know, it could shift by tonight or something, who's top five in the National League in both average and home runs. I think he deserves a shout-out because he's also the NL League leader in OPS. Uh, teammate Nick Castellanos has been really good. Really wanted to, to pick one of those Reds, but they haven't been as good anymore, and we know that winning does matter to the MVP. At least it has in voting. Some people might disagree. I kind of think it does. Uh, Chris Bryant's been great for that nice, surprising Cubs team. I think he deserves a mention. I want to shout out Brandon Crawford. He's been probably the best player on the Giants, who right now have the best record in the National League. So the best player on the best team in the National League, he's got to be mentioned. Uh, Max Muncy, Fernando Tatis, they're one and two in the National League if you go by war. Actually, Crawford's three, so he's right there. Uh, Ronald Acuna has just been amazing, even after the injury. He still has to get a mention here. And then on the pitching front, even if you don't go to Grom, I mean, Woodruff, Gossman, Wheeler, Bauer, Burns, Peralta. Like, there are so many great candidates. Uh, we mentioned a bunch of good ones in the American League, but I think we kind of narrowed it down to two guys. I, I don't know how you would narrow this down. Like, I, I don't know how many uh, they have to fill out their ballot for. I know um, it goes like the, the voting, it'll Mike Yastrzemski will finish ninth or something like that. I don't know if, if writers submit five guys, ten guys, or, or how deep that goes. I think it's ten. Um, I might even have trouble coming up with how to trim my list to 10 because there are so many good guys in this uh, National League. But I would go to Grom, the edge, because not only do you have the historic start pitching-wise, he's got an OPS over 900 hitting. He's on a division-leading team. I just think he's the best player in the NL right now. You know, I'm going to piggyback off that DeGrom take because I, I do like it and I do think – uh, you know, you saw Clayton Kershaw win the MVP in the past. So it's, it's definitely within reason that this is a possibility. And DeGrom's pitching better than that season that Kershaw pitched. I mean, DeGrom is pitching better than pretty much any pitcher in the history of the game. You want to references to what this is essentially equating to at this time with Jacob DeGrom. Number one, somehow some way he's five and two. I, I, we've never seen him with a winning record, it feels like. So finally, he's at least got a few wins. But his .62 ERA, his .57 whip, that is as good as it gets in the league, literally. And his 14.43K per nine has been absolutely dominant. The only concern I've had, I guess, if you're looking at his numbers and trying to be nitpicky because there's really nothing to be, he only has seven quality starts. I don't expect that to be a small number by the end of the year. I think that they're going to let him go deeper in games, especially when they matter more for the Mets. I think they're going to give him everything that they can and more in terms of getting the most out of him. Uh, he's reached the seventh inning only three Time, so that's part of kind of my concern with that but he's also led the league I believe he's the leader with the five fastest pitches thrown this year which is absolutely ridiculous by a starting pitcher now I want you to look back okay Tim Keith is the that's ERA right. leader okay that was set in 1880 there Ooh. 1880 the ERA was 0. 0.85 0. 0.85 so DeGrom right now has literally on his own elite level, maybe, I mean, you're talking about maybe one of the greatest seasons you'll ever see in the history of the game of baseball. Um, and I don't want to jump to conclusions about the sticky stuff. You know, we could, that's a whole other conversation. I want to believe that DeGrom's not one of the group of people that is doing that. Okay. I just want to pretend that that's not real. Okay. 
the .62 ERA regardless is absolutely asinine that he can pull this off. Uh, this is a record that has never existed, you know, and Shane Bieber had a 1.62 ERA last year in 2020 in that short season. And that was looked at as a historic season. Zach Greinke had a 1.65 ERA in 2015. That was a historic season. Those are the two best and lowest ERAs in this last 20 years. Um, the fact that DeGrom has an entire one knocked off of that is absolutely ridiculous. And let me not, let's not forget also, he had a dominant season in 2018 where he had a 170 ERA. I want to bring up this name. Old Haas Radburn. Yeah. That is a real name that existed. Old Haas Radburn, 29 years old in 1884, Derek. He went 60 and 12 with the Providence Grays. Okay, he went 60 and 12. We're not going to see a, a season ever like that in the history of this game again. Okay. We're never even to see something close to half of that. Nobody's going to go 30 and 12. I, I just don't see that happening. But if DeGrom can manage to win around 15 to 16 games with, you know, a, a team that really doesn't ever give him run support and his ERA is even remotely close to where it is, even a one in front of it, I, I would give him the MVP. I mean, he's been out of this world amazing and that's nothing to take away from Jesse Winker, Ronald Acuna Jr., Nick Castellanos, Fernando Tatis Jr., Max Muncy, and oh, I'm going to throw this out there, Tyler O'Neill. Let's Thank just let's ahead. give him the the, the the time of day. I I've looked at Tyler O'Neill's numbers and I want to cry every day because of how beautiful they are. Over the last month, by the way, O'Neill with over a 600 slu or 800 slugging, I should say, absolutely ridiculous. But should not matter because Degrom is the best player in the game, um, and I don't think anybody's going to question that. Yep, I'm good with that, and I, I think we can both just say he's going to win our Cy Young as well. Obviously, like, you could uh, double his ERA. It would still be better than the next closest ERA, which I think would be Kevin Gossman for qualified pitchers. Um, I mean, we talked about Bob Gibson, the amazing season he had, and I get it, that was over the course of a full season. We're not nearly there with DeGrom, but right now his ERA would be half lower than uh, Bob Gibson, or, or half a run, I should say, lower than Bob Gibson. I am, by the way, glad that you brought up Old House Radburn. We actually, um, on the radio show I'm on, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, last week we do a segment called Cool Guy of the Week, and somehow it devolved into a conversation about Old House Radburn. So I would actually wow. highly recommend going and doing some research on him because very interesting dude. That year that he won 60 games, like this is just perfect example of the difference in uh, the eras and, and how things were, like – he had a 5.8 K per nine, like, and, and that was like a high number at the time, but a dude who threw like a spitball and like a screwball and all, all these different types of pitches. And uh, he was actually seen as a guy as maybe doing some stuff that uh, wasn't totally legal at the time that, that he got away with. But uh, yeah, I, I would recommend just kind of doing a deep dive. Maybe we will later uh, at some point in the show, do some like old deep dives on players. 60 wins, 60 wins. And he had 48 wins another season, Derek. I mean, what the heck? I wish I was alive during that era. Just, just so I could be the, the old guy. Literally. I would love to beat him. <laughs> a lot easier to see a 300 win pitcher in your lifetime. If you can get 108 of them over a two season stretch. That's, <laughs> uh, okay. So if we're both given DeGrom the MVP and obviously the Cy Young as well, that would mean the next award on the ledger would be manager of the year. Uh, I think this, I don't know. I, I kind of want to go Gabe Kapler cause you know, giants, but I don't want to be a Homer. So I'm going to go David Ross. Um, Cubs are right there for the division, despite the fact that I thought ownership has not done a great job in supporting the team. They've had so many injuries this year, and they've still been able to cycle through some guys, like Patrick Wisdom, the latest, who's just going off for them. Chris Bryant has been fantastic this year. This is my favorite Chris Bryant stat, though, this year. It's not an average number of home run thing. 
obviously Chris Bryant's original position is third base. That's where he started the year as well. Chris Bryant has not played third base, Dusty, since April 20th. That was, what, a month and a half ago? Something right. like that. It's incredible. The injuries they've dealt with, he hasn't even been able to play at his home position. So I, I still don't love the starting pitching for them, but I think despite that, he's done a great job getting role players to really fill into certain roles. He's done a great job managing the bullpen. They've had an awesome bullpen so far. They've got a good record. They'd be a playoff team uh, right now. Um, and if we were doing, again, they'd be the five seed if we were going off last year's playoff standings and only half a game back of the division lead. So I'm going to go with the slight edge for David Ross over Gabe Kapler. Well, I'm going to go with the most jacked man in the league that manages the team, and that is Gabe Kapler. Uh, I, I just am amazed by what he's been able to put together. It's an island of misfit toys, and to be honest with you, Derek, you, you will really appreciate this, in my opinion. I was talking to somebody the other week about this. You know, the Giants prided themselves on the even year in the you know 2010s, if you will. Now we're in 2020. Is the odd year really what they're looking for? Does that take the switch? Because we're in 2021. Does this mean in 2021, 2023, and 2025, they are going to be one of the scariest teams? I don't know. But all of a sudden, these players on this team that we all called washed at one point earlier this year have become almost MVP or comeback player of the year candidates. We'll get to that more in a little bit. But Gabe Kapler has at least found a way to get this team together, get the best out of this group. And uh, whether that be mixing and matching the lineup accordingly. Um, I know he slotted Brandon Cl uh, Crawford higher in the three hole at times, five hole. Um, he's found ways to win the games. And I know his bullpen has not been reliable. And yet he still has the second best record in all of baseball. He's got the best record uh, team in the National League. And let's not forget, this is a team that was not expected to compete with the Dodgers or the Padres. And they're leading the division. There's got to be credit where credit is due. And Gabe Kapler, a lot of people are not fans of him especially when he was in philly he is certainly showing that the man knows how to manage and on top of that he's got a legitimate squad around him by the way that the mention of uh, how muscular he is i want to at some point do like a, a top five bottom five list of managers i could most take in a fight versus managers <laughs> who most just absolutely destroy me and who would you know. take in the fight first? Who, who's the manager you would take in the fight first? Like a, that I would want to, that I think I could beat him up? Yes. I mean, Tony La Russa is really old. Is that cheating? <laughs> I think that's cheating. And also, I don't know if I want to fight Tony La Russa because my fear is that he's just going to drink a bunch and then jump in his car and run me over. That was, that was uncalled for. That was very <laughs> uncalled for. <laughs> I mean, I could fight Dusty Baker, not you, but like, again, he's kind of old. I think in his prime, Dusty Baker probably kicks my butt, but maybe, maybe he's too old. I don't know. I've, sh I've shaken his hand. His hand is like a freaking Wait, glove, man. I don't even want to, I don't want to go near that. He may be 70 something years old, but one little punch to the noggin and I'm out. So honest, I would though, I, I'm like looking at the list of managers and I'm having a hard time coming up with five that I would feel comfortable with in a fight. Like I've got one and that would be Craig council. I feel like Craig council will do everything to avoid the fight. A, he's still a major league baseball player athlete. You know, he's in good shape. Like, I don't know. That's fair. I don't want to punch Craig council because he's a nice guy, but I think that he would no, run yeah. away from I mean, me would, yeah. more likely. Right. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Hypothetically, you know, we're, we're in a boxing ring and they're like, you have to fight this manager. And I'm like, why? They're like, just because we, we said. I like how we went from the manager of the year to the manager we would fight the most. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we'll move on to the rookie of the year. Um, I'm going to go with a man who has won my heart 
because he is a Marlins pitcher. He is a T. Rogers favorite. I like Tyler Rogers. I like Taylor Rogers, and I like Trevor Rogers. So we're gonna go with Trevor Rogers. Yeah, I, I think that Rodgers has to be your favorite right now in the league. Uh, there are a couple other guys that, you know, maybe stand out, uh, but this is also just a relatively weak early rookie of the year uh, situation. Uh, I thought Key Brian Hayes was going to be the favorite, you know, going into this, and then he got hurt. Um, and then once he came back to the MLB, he hit a home run and promptly forgot to touch first base. So uh, it's hard for me to tell early on here. I thought Josh Rojas could be a potential candidate. And then he's kind of fallen off. Jonathan India, he's leading off for the Reds. There's a lot of capabilities there for him to score a lot of runs. Maybe he will be an outside looking in guy. The guy I'm really excited about is when Brendan Davis comes out. I think that he will have an opportunity to shine on the Cubs. Uh, when he comes out, watch out for him. But Trevor Rogers has been an elite level pitcher for, you know, a situation that I never really saw coming. Um, and uh, you have a couple other names as well that you were curious about, but ultimately to me, I, I agree. I think Rogers is the guy. Ian Anderson's been good. Um, Dylan Carlson's been good, but like the slugging numbers are not there. And he's been struggling a little bit more of late. Jazz Chisholm, if you would have asked early in the season, he's, he's kind of like the, your mean Mercedes for different reasons. He had like the hot start. If you would ask through a month of the season, he would have been the rookie of the year. Uh, your means just kind of struggled. And, and maybe again, you attribute part of that to just Tony LaRusa. but with jazz, he got injured and he's gotten injured again since then. And he cooled off a little bit, maybe partially because of the injury or interrupting um, kind of your timing into the season. But I mean, if, if he would have just stayed healthy, like you're probably talking about the top two candidates are both on the Marlins, which is kind of exciting with Jazz Chisholm and Trevor Rogers. But I feel like it's pretty obviously Trevor Rogers because not only is he, I mean, we didn't really bring up Cy Young candidates. We did a little in the MVP thing just because it's, it's a hand down Jacob DeGrom. You'd have to at least mention Tyler Rogers or Trevor Rogers, excuse me, in the Cy Young competition because his ERA is so low. I agree. I, and I think that at the end of the day, this is not a fluke either. Um, some of these guys, like you mentioned, Jazz Chisholm, it's hard to read what exactly they're offering moving forward. But for Tyler Rodgers, or Trevor Rogers, I should say, and man, I, I got that confused now too. Uh, for Trevor Rogers, it's, it's a guy that honestly, he attacks hitters and he gets swings and misses and he's throwing quality start after quality start together. So I believe that he's the leader. I don't think that there's anybody really even remotely close to him right now. Um, if Key Brian Hayes can figure out how to touch first base, maybe we'll be talking a different story later on. Yeah, Pirates versus first base, a rivalry that is uh, one as good as any this season. Okay, let's get to the uh, reliever of the year. I'm going to go a little bit off the books here. Not a guy you're thinking of. Most of the times the reliever of the year, it's going to either be that ninth inning guy or like an eighth inning guy, like a Devin Williams who just like has this, this dominant season. Uh, this guy has pitched in the eighth or ninth inning in different outputs. TJ Antone, a guy who coming into the season, some people thought would maybe they'd use him in like a long relief role or they'd use him as a part-time starter. So far it's been all bullpen for him and he has been awesome. Three saves, seven holds. Those numbers don't jump off the page. But he's fifth in the NL in innings pitched for a reliever. So you're getting bang for your buck. You're getting a lot of usage out of him, which the more usage you have, obviously that's going to attribute to you being more valuable out there just because of the fact that you're pitching more. Um, he has a 1.41 ERA, 
whip is 0.72. That's incredibly low. He hasn't K per nine over 11. You watch him. He just has absolutely nasty stuff. They're super hard. And they kind of use him in any role. If you need him in the eighth inning, you need him in the ninth inning. You need to put him in, in the sixth inning and have him pitch three innings of a game. He can do that. He actually has the 15th best war of any pitcher, starter or reliever, any pitcher in the National League, which is the most, so the best war of any reliever in the National League. And just to show you um, the drop-off there, I mean, it's not like a giant drop-off, but Mark Melanson would be the second highest reliever by war. He's at 28th in the MLB or in the National League. Uh, Josh Hader is 30th and he's next. So I'm going to go TJ Antone there, but I do also want to give a shout out at the very least for Tyler Rogers for the Giants, just so I can get another T Rogers out there. Just because <laughs> of the fact that, you know, if we're talking about uh, value to the team, he has appeared in 29 games this year that leads the MLB in terms of game appearances. And he's got a whip under one. He's got a ERA of 1.52. The Giants bullpen isn't very good, but he's been like the one shining spot so far. So I would at least mention him, but I'm going TJ Antone. Yeah, I, I like that, you know, comp, or not comp, but the at least the shout-out of Rodgers. I think that he's been a legitimate weapon for the Giants, and yeah, a bullpen that's really not that strong. Um, for me, I'm going to have to go with a little more basic of an answer here, just because the numbers, to me, tell the story, and that's Mark Belanson. Uh, you know, obviously the former Braves closer feels like the former closer of almost every single team in this league. It's another one of those players that just kind of moves from place to place and is nomadic, isn't really staying in one place. Well, he's made his home with the Padres and his ERA has been ridiculous. It's 0.66. His whip's a little higher than you would assume. It's a 102. So he's at least gotten guys probably one hitter on uh, per appearance, but the 7.24K per nine he's featuring doesn't mean he's putting guys out frequently, but that doesn't matter. He's limiting the the damage. He's closing out games, doing the job he's supposed to do. You don't sign a closer because they get swings and misses necessarily. You're getting a guy that can clutch up and end the ball game so that they don't prolong it. And Mark Melanson has done a great job. And I just got to throw this out there too, Derek. I don't know if you've seen it before, but the walkout song and just the walkout situation for Mark Melanson is maybe the best that I've seen since Trevor Hoffman or Mariano Rivera. It is so cool what the Padres do. It's like, it gives me chills watching him come out and, you know, try to finish out a game in San Diego. It is one of the coolest setups that they have. I remember uh, Brad Lidge used to have a pretty cool walkout situation. And, what about um, also that, former Padre Heath Bell? Just like sprinting Bell. around. Yeah, the, the Padres, for whatever reason, with closers, they just treat them like royalty. And Melanson hasn't even been there for longer than a year, you know? And he's already treated like the guy. And he's got 19 saves. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. Uh, I really like what he's done. I think that he's the most reliable closer in the league. And I never would have thought I was saying that early on. I would have thought Drew Pomerantz was going to have that role before he got hurt. So the way that Melanson stepped up, the way that he is not just stepped up but delivered as well, has been as impressive as any player in the league yeah and uh I will say that like Mark Melanson he's been fantastic I don't have any data to back this up I swear that dude gets more lineouts to shortstop or like second base <laughs> than anybody in the MLB it's crazy but yeah he's been really good so far this year and I think also uh you probably want to bring up what like Kenley Jansen Andrew Chafin you can bring up a lot of Cubs bullpen guys uh Craig Kimbrell uh has been having a really good season I mean uh Ryan Tapero was named like NL uh, pitcher of the month or reliever of the month or whatever this past month. So you can pick a lot of guys from, from the Cubs. A lot of guys to pick from. 
with relievers when every team has like eight or nine of them or seven or eight. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked by Jansen. That's the big one. I never thought that Jansen would even be in consideration for me. And the way that he's been pitching, he's got his mile, uh, velocity back up to 95, 96 miles per hour. Where the heck was that the last couple of years? So I, I'm definitely impressed by that. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, a big reason why the Cubs are able to win these games is because they can finish the games and eliminate your opportunities to get on base. And their bullpen's done a great job. And Andrew Chafin has been the best holds guy in the entire league. He's come up, done his job. His ERA is sub two. Uh, I'm very impressed by what the Cubs bullpen with Kimbrel finishing it off has done. Okay, on to comeback player of the year. Which giant are we picking? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you look at our Google Doc, uh, the funny thing is we have all Giants listed. There's literally nobody else that we've listed for the National League except for the series of Giants. Uh, you could go start, first of all, at catcher with Buster Posey. The way that he has played this game has been unbelievable this 2021 season. He's playing like it's 2010. You have Brandon Crawford, who I don't understand where this power is coming from, but my goodness, he's a home run machine. Evan Longoria is playing like he's playing with the Rays. And then how about Kevin Gosman being probably the runner up right now for the Cy Young to an absolute legend in Jacob DeGrom. I feel like we didn't touch enough on Kevin Gosman, how good he's been, uh, the sub two ERA, just the fact that he's been a consistent stay on the Giants rotation. He's a true ace. I mean, he's been shutting down team after team. Uh, you could call him a comeback player of the year. You could call him, a Cy Young candidate. I, I, he's been unbelievable. For me, through that group, I feel like I'm going to have to go with a guy that's proven the most to me, which is Kevin Gosman. I, I really love the production that he's had. He's never been this good. Uh, and for me, comeback player of the year is somebody that came back from either their struggles or they just didn't show out. And then one year it clicked. And for him this year, for whatever reason, it has clicked in every way, shape, or form possible. And to see Gosman on the hill, he's an imposing figure. Uh, I've seen him pitch in person. I actually saw him shut down the Rangers when he was part of the Orioles organization. Uh, so you knew that he had it in him, but to put all the pieces together and see what he's doing in San Francisco, it is a special year. And it's just a bummer that he's pitching in the same league as Jacob, Jacob Brown, because to be honest, that's a Cy Young award that he should be winning. Yeah, he uh, has been just unbelievable. And he goes back to a conversation we had in the AL show where it's like, you could argue he could have won comeback player of the year last year just because, you know, you go from being a guy who had a 5.72 ERA in 2019 to one with a 3.62 and you're the ace of a staff of a team that almost made the playoffs. But yet he has gotten even so much better from there to right now where it was like he's a good pitcher to now he's been one of the better pitchers so far this season, to your point. Um, to where he could still win that. It's it's crazy to think about that you've had that big of a jump those two years. It it really is like, and I know a lot of like Giants fans and beat writers have made the comparison to Jason Schmidt, a guy who uh, Schmidt uh, had most of his years with the Pirates early on. I think he came up with like the Braves and joined the Giants in uh, 2001 when he was 28 years old, has a really good year after the trade with them. And then he has like, four or five good seasons with the Giants makes a couple all-star games. It feels like that's what you're getting from Kevin Gossman and whatever the pitching staff um, or the pitching coaches, you know, to Farhan Zaidi up at the front office, whatever they've done to like unlock some of these pitchers has just been absolutely fantastic. So he deserves to be up there. Uh, Brandon Crawford deserves to be up there as well. But I do think what maybe holds him back for me is, so last year, Brandon Crawford actually had his career best OPS. Now, it wasn't nearly what it is now. It was like 790, uh, 792, I think. This year, it's over 900. So 
kind of like Kevin Gossman, good year, but you've taken another jump. It's just, I think they've done a really good job with, with figuring him out as well. But I would go Buster Posey because this is a guy who, you know, with Kevin Gossman, Brandon Crawford, they both had good seasons last year. Evan Longoria was, he was okay last year. Buster Posey didn't even play last year. And from what we saw his last season, we saw him in 2019, it looked like he had no more power left. And they're running a, a really interesting thing where he plays two days, he's off a day. And it's not great maybe if you have him in fantasy baseball or something because you're not going to get a ton of at-bats out of him. But for the health of Buster Posey, for the health of the team, it's been so awesome to watch because it looks like he has fresh legs. He has the power to drive the balls to the opposite field gaps again, to get those doubles, to get those home runs. He's the guy who I would go with for comeback player of the year. And it's been so much fun watching the resurgence of uh, Buster Posey. So Don't you wish that you had the DH if you're a Giants fan, because having Posey as the DH seems like such an automatic now. Oh, absolutely. And Joey Bart is actually like raking in uh, AAA. He's hitting like over 350 right now. So you'd be able to bring him up and use Posey as the DH. And also that's like one of the Giants that might be the Giants biggest strength. It's, it's not that they have a bunch of stars, though Posey and Crawford are kind of playing like it right now. It's just that they have a bunch of depth and they have a bunch of guys who they can you know, like, like Darren Ruff, who's injured um, right now, but a perfect example, Darren Ruff, like on his entirety, if you start him for 162 games, he's not a, a great player, right? Like he's, he's an, maybe an average player by like war or something. But when you only use him against lefties, he becomes a good player, right? And it's, it's the same thing with a lot of the guys they're using. So that depth is just kind of worked to their advantage. But uh, yeah, Posey's been awesome. Okay, so as we did at the end of the American League show, you had comparisons for uh, bachelorette names to different teams in the American League. We just ran over the American League East. We'll go over some of the other American League divisions over the course of our next couple shows. But since we're doing the National League today, and since you're Dodgers fan, I'm Giants, we have a lot of NL West ties. Why don't you give me the comparisons you made for the NL West teams? Yeah, and uh, to be honest with you, there we're just going off the last most recent two seasons. So we have Matt's season and we have Tasha slash Claire after Claire ruined her entire season. So what we're going to do, we're starting with the first place San Francisco Giants. And Derek, you should probably appreciate this one because to me, I think it's unbelievable the comparison you have between the Giants and and none other than the new Bachelorette, Katie Thurston. Katie Thurston started her season this past week, thus the reason why this is our little thing going on this week. But there is so much more behind that. So, Katie Thurston, when you look at her as a whole, the Giants have been incredibly underrated all year long. She was underrated since she started on Matt's season. Uh, while it's still hard to envision maybe the Giants finishing where they currently are, they've been a great story, and they proved they're relevant for the long run as well. Katie made a name for herself when she stood up to the girls in the house during that season that she was looking down upon, of course, or a lot of them were looking down on and she tried to back them up. Consequently, she became America's darling and now has earned the honor as the new bachelorette because of her actions. Likewise, the Giants are stepping up and matching toe-to-toe with the Dodgers and the Padres. They caught the attention of the entire league across the country. And maybe, just maybe, Kevin Gosman will be awarded a Cy Young just as Katie was awarded the bachelorette. Derek, do you accept my rose? I will accept this rose because if you're going to give the Giants basically being the person, the the show is, you know, this one, the Bachelorette, is Bachelor and Bachelorette, um, it is literally about her. So if you're telling me this is going to be about the Giants, then yeah, I'm all about it. Let's do it. 
It's an odd year. So it actually kind of makes sense. I feel like we're, we're starting that trend hashtag odd year. We move on to the Padres, which are now tied with the Dodgers in second place. How about the fact that this year, Derek, I don't know if you know this, there is not one, but there is actually a second bachelorette that's coming up later this summer. They got not one, but two. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? So on Matt's season, Matt somehow decided to let this great girl and Katie Thurston go. But how about the final two? He let go of maybe the most perfect human being, which was Michelle Young. The country fell in love with her as she walked on the show late. I believe it was episode three that she joined as a late bloomer in the episode. And maybe immediately she late. She shouldn't have been late. And for the Padres, you know, obviously they really haven't been a threat for a very long time, but now they're coming out on the scene. Now people are starting to really track what they're doing. Fernando Tatis Jr. has obviously caught the attention of the country. Michelle Young did the same thing. And on top of that, Michelle Young is a teacher. Well, you have Manny Machado and you have Eric Hosmer. Those two have done a great job, you could tell, at mentoring Fernando Tatis Jr., Jake Cronenworth. You've got a lot of youth that's coming up through this organization. I, I just think the Padres are the perfect comp between the two of them. And at the end of the day, Michelle finished second place. The Padres are a second right now in the National League West. Derek, do you accept my rose? Yes. Her name is Michelle and there are shells on the beach, which they haven't seen. <laughs> that is a beautiful, beautiful explanation, Derek. It makes perfect sense. We go to the Dodgers and this one was a tough one for me to come up with because I could have gone a number of different routes, but I decided to go with none other. Derek, you should Google this guy. His name is Ben Smith. If you look at somebody that just looks like a Dodger, you this think would be I'm going to be able to find somebody on Google whose name is Ben <laughs> Smith? You'd be surprised. Google it right now. He will be the first one to come up. Ben Smith. This kid is absolutely jacked, by the way. I will throw that out there. The jawline of a freaking great god, I swear. But the thing about Ben, while he was a favorite for many especially at the beginning for Claire's season before she decided to ruin her entire show. Ben was once again the favorite for Tasha's season. He arrived for the final two. Uh, despite the fact he was actually eliminated prior in her season, he decided to come back. They rekindled. He made it to the final two before being eliminated. Ben's biggest weakness that Tasha ultimately saw in him was his confidence and more so his consistency in his relationship with Tasha. For the Dodgers, they somehow can't seem to find a way to stay consistently healthy and put, to put together consistent at-bats or games together as well. They fluctuate based off the energy they have every day at the ballpark. They're still a favorite. Many people believe they can go all the way once again in 2021, but much like good old Ben, who caught the hearts of America, the Dodgers have some consistency issues that they must figure out if they want to come out on top. Ben, of course, was not able to come out on top. Derek, do you accept my rose? I do not because I did Google him and I'm seeing too many Ben Smith. The Ben Smith <laughs> New York Times. Ben Smith Rugby, Ben Smith NHL, Ben Smith on BuzzFeed. Is he, I'm assuming it's Ben Smith CrossFit. There's, there's a Ben Smith CrossFit if he's in good That's game. probably him. My guess is this dude loves juices, by the way. And while I don't know if the Dodgers are juicing, I, I sure hope not as a fan <laughs> of that team. Uh, it's definitely not out of the realm considering Trevor Bauer was very vocal about the fact that he was using sticky, sticky substances. Maybe he's pouring some of these, uh, you know, juices on the baseball, trying to at least take it off. I don't know. It's, it's crazy what's going on in the league with, you know, these substances and everything like that. But we're going to move on to my final favorite ones here in the NL West, which is number one, the Rockies. Okay. So you have Anna Redmond, Derek, I don't know if you watched any of Matt's season, but Anna Redmond is one of the most toxic human beings I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh. And I 
bluntly and honestly say that because my gosh, I don't know what this girl's problem was, but the moment she walked on the show, she knew she was going to cause trouble. Derek, to give you some background here. Okay. The Rockies are obviously on my bad list. You know, in the past podcast we had, uh, when we talked about CJ Crone going down, I said they should make an obvious move. Sign Albert Pujols. Look how he's doing now with the Dodgers. He's happy. He's hitting home runs somehow again. He's been great. An amazing story. Well, Instead, the Rockies passed on that opportunity, and C.J. Crone's not playing well. They let chaos also step on in. Nolan Arenado hasn't been happy with the direction of organization. Trevor Story appears to be on his way out. A report came this weekend that he has decided he will not re-sign with the Rockies. So good for them. Now they've lost some value there, just knowing that they have to trade him at the deadline. Consequently, Anna Redmond. She is notorious on The Bachelor for not actually being a factor in the show outside of falsely claiming another contestant, Brittany Galvin, who was another addition late in the show. She claimed that Brittany Galvin was an escort, Derek, without actually having any proof. They were from the same city, said that she's an escort. That is a huge accusation right there. She was an incredibly toxic person in the house, ultimately was sent home shortly after the claim she made. For the Rockies, they're about to send Trevor Story off another direction to another franchise. It could also be Charlie Blackman, Herman Marquez. They're about to blow up here, and they will be ready to pack for the couches very shortly in October. Derek, do you accept my rose? I will accept that one. Um, it, it sounds very much like she is a problem. And the kids nowadays say he's a problem. She's a problem. Like in a good way, this is the old fashioned way. She is a problem. The Rockies are a problem in a very bad way. So I, this isn't the TikTok kids saying this anymore. These are the old, the old days of the problems. The, the final one I have for you, Derek, it's, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've been an utter disaster this season. I mean, it has been a complete embarrassment. I have to start with the obvious here. The fact that they're not only in last place, but they have the worst record in baseball. They got a 323 winning percentage on top of that. So I have to go with probably one of the worst people on this entire show. I would say he was the worst. And uh, his name is Yosef Aberrady. It's hard to even pronounce his name. Yosef, this was during Claire's season. It's really not that difficult. He's one of the worst people I've ever seen in my life. He came out and said to Claire, quote unquote, you are not fit to be the mother of my children. Okay, who the heck says that? First of all, on national TV, what, what kind of idiot are you? And then they brought him back later in the show just for him to say, I don't apologize. Like what <laughs> sick, what sick human being does that? And so yeah, Derek, I compare, it's a power move, I guess, if you're dement in, in the wise words of Olivia Rodrigo, which Derek, I don't know if you know who that is, yeah. but she's the new trendy girl in this world. Uh, the good for you girl. Uh, she makes a very good point saying that, you know, there's a sociopath. Well, that would be Yosef. And that would be also the Diamondbacks franchise, because to be honest, as Yosef did not decide to apologize to Claire, I think the Diamondbacks have made a huge mistake not apologizing to their fan base for wasting their time watching their team play this season. Both are incredibly embarrassing to watch on television. Derek, do you accept my rose? Um, sure, I accept your rose. Actually, no, Thank I don't. I don't want them to be an embarrassment. Madison Bumgarner's on the team, so I don't accept. I'll just take a drink. Take a drink. Well, that will wrap up our Bachelorette segment. You will hear more of us as we move along with our comps moving forward. Okay. And uh, yeah, if you were just fast forwarding through that, stop now, stop now. <laughs> um, subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. That's going to do it for today's show. Again, uh, thank you for joining us and check out Man Cave merch. You're looking for a last minute Father's Day gift. Check out Man Cave merch. You can get your dad whatever his favorite MLB team is, or maybe it's an NFL team or something. I don't know. Um, you can get 
old baseball, football, again, whatever sport cards in your coaster. It's perfect. It looks cool. It keeps your drink from touching that nice coffee table of yours. So check out Man Cave merch for all of that. Also give us a follow on social media at Booze and Baseball. You can let us know if you have any questions or want us to talk about something there or through our email, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. Thanks again to Mixkit for the stock music, Man Cave merch for the coasters. Drink responsibly. Have a good one for Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Adios. Thank you for accepting our rose.